0: It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to be here to preach God's word for you guys this morning. And I really wanna thank all the elders for their support in trusting me with this responsibility. I don't take it lightly at all. So today we're gonna to be in Second Samuel 7. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. That's our gift to you. And if you're in a device, we're in the ESV version. So, so far we've been studying the life of David through the first and second Samuel. And so I'm going to give you guys a quick recap. We've seen David being anointed as king among all his brothers because of his heart after God. We've seen him take down Goliath in the Lord's name. We've seen his friendship with Jonathan grow and uh, power through different adversities. We've seen David in his gathered community. We've seen the mercy that he gives his enemy Saul. And last week we saw David and how he responds to the Lord's greatness when the ark of God returns into Jerusalem. And so in today's passage, you're gonna notice something a little bit different. The perspective is gonna change a little bit. Most of the text today is actually coming from God's perspective, as God speaks to David through Nathan the prophet. So let's turn to the word together. We're gonna to be in 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. Now when the king lived in the house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, whom shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him, with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the holy inspired word of God. So the main idea for this text, and therefore the main idea of the sermon is something like this. God's presence is forever faithful, and the future king is proof. God's presence is forever faithful, and the future king is proof. We live in a world where loneliness is an epidemic. 25% of the world struggles with loneliness. In a 2023 Gallup poll I researched, 20, like 25% of the world just struggles with being extremely lonely. And this number has increased to 38% for young people. 19 to 29, 38%. So in these last few years, we can see that loneliness is a huge issue. Yet scripture reassures us and points us to how God is with us and how he will never leave us or forsake us. For Christians, God's presence is a demonstration of his faithfulness. With God, we are never alone. So I wanna share a couple of questions with you guys that'll help guide us through our sermon. First question is, does God's faithfulness depend on anything? I'll repeat this for the note takers. Does God's faithfulness depend on anything? Question two, how has God's faithful presence been with us? How has God's faithful presence been with us? And finally, how does God's faithfulness give you reassurance for the future? How does God's God's faithfulness give you reassurance for the future? So our first point and the answer to the first question is this. God's faithfulness does not depend on us. And we see this in verses one through seven. In this section, we see David in a time of peace. He's been blessed, he's got a fancy new crib, he has peace time for the first time in forever. He's been at war for the longest time. And so David now sees in comparison how the Ark of God is in this little tent that he set up one chapter earlier. and He starts thinking about, hmm, what if I build a house for God? Now the word house here means a permanent temple. And so Nathan, David's court advisor and the prophet, approves initially. It seems that David's intentions were good. But in a vision that night, God tells Nathan to relay a message to David. God has never asked the Israelites to build him any type of temple or house. Instead, God reminds David that throughout Israelites' history, from Exodus to the time of the judges to now the monarchy, God's permanent presence has always dwelt in a movable tent with his people, no matter where they move to. God does not need David to build him a temple. Now, if you did not grow up in a church or you're not Christian, it might be tempting to think that God needs us to worship him so that he'll bless us. That somehow our worship and our good behavior makes him bless us and makes him be faithful to us. But friends, the Christian God is not karmic. We don't do anything to earn God's favor or make him bless us or make him do things for us. God does not need us to do anything for him to be faithful. God is faithful because that is who he is. Second Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. We see this play out already in verse one. Before any of the events in the passage has happened, God has already given David peace. This passage points to God not needing David to do anything for him. Instead, God reminds him that his presence already dwells with his people wherever they go. And the same is true for us as well. He is a God who is with us wherever we go. God is omnipresent. God's presence has always been more important than a specific place or a specific location. In Exodus 33, and give you guys a little context, this is after God has rescued the Israelites from Egypt, And the Israelites have decided to worship a golden calf instead. And God is rightly angered by this, by the unfaithfulness of his people. And he wants to send the Israelites into the promised land without him. And so after a little bit of intercession from Moses, God relents. And it says this in Exodus 33, starting in verse 14. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? God's presence is what sets Israelites apart from all the other nations around them. Had they gone to the promised land without God's presence, they would have been like any other nation around them. And the same is true for us. Without God's presence, When we show up on a Sunday, we're merely playing church. All our prayers, our Bible studies, our gatherings, without God's presence in it, it's meaningless, it's pointless, they're all just moral outward actions. And so we can become legalistic ex Christians when we make Christianity all about religious performances and not about God himself. God does not need our religious performances. Now we see this play out in the Pharisees. They've developed a religion with rituals and practices in an attempt to honor God's commandments. And they believe that their practices made them pleasing to God. But in reality, they've lost sight of God and their hearts were far away from Him. We're gonna read about this in Matthew 15, so go ahead and turn to Matthew 15. We're gonna start in verse one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He, Jesus, answered them, and why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We see here that the Pharisees have these man-made rituals and practices, that they're even disregarding God's own commandments and his word. And so their worship is in vain. They're worshiping a God that they made, in their own make, uh, they made of their own making. And God is not about the God that we read in scripture. So now it can be really easy to point out the flaws in the Pharisees and make them out to be the bad guys. But all scripture is actually profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. And this ought to cause us to reflect. How might we be like modern day Pharisees? How might I be like a modern-day Pharisee? Just like David, who's tempted to think that there is something special about a temple, how often do we focus on rituals and practices, places, or people over the presence of God? Have we created a lesser man-made image of God to worship instead of the God of the Bible? It can be really easy for someone to look and act like a Christian by doing all the right things, But if their heart is far away from God, just like the Pharisees, it's all meaningless. But church, what a gracious reality for us that God does not need us to do anything for him because he has already gone before us and he dwells among us. And this ties to our second point, which is God has been faithful. And we see this in verses eight through 11. Now in this section, God is recounting his faithfulness to David, how he's taken him from being an obscure shepherd to becoming king over the Israelites, how he has protected David from all his enemies and made David's name great among the people, and how he's brought peace to this land. But it's not just the good things. David's been hunted by Saul too. He's encamped with the Philistines. And even through all of this, the central verse in this section, verse nine, says this, and I have been with you wherever you went. This still stands true. This is the God that David worships, who's been with David through the thick and thin of life, and this is the same God that we worship as well. He's chosen us from before the foundation of the world, and he is always with us through the ups and downs of life. Even though there may be times we don't feel it, when our circumstances cloud our ability to see what he's doing, God has never left us. David's life story and all of our life story points to that, points to his faithfulness in being with us wherever we are. I wanna take a couple of moments to share about God's faithfulness in my family's life. Both Christine and I, we were hurt by churches in the past, and maybe this is something that you can relate to. Right? Church hurt is a sad reality in our broken world. For her, she grew up on the mission field in Kenya, and so whenever her family would return back to the States, she would often feel paraded around by the churches that her parents brought her to. It was never intentional. They weren't meaning any, her any harm. But she was always seen as the missionary girl from Kenya and never as an individual. And so she felt unseen and unknown. And that isolation would cause a lot of wounds in her life later on. For me, I, grew, I came to faith in college. I was taught that faithfulness to God meant that I always had to be serving the church. I always had to be doing something. And I didn't realize how damaging and how graceless this mentality was and it wasn't until I started getting frustrated with church, getting bitter and jaded at the church and its leaders, and I completely stopped attending church. I couldn't see God's grace, and I somehow internalized that in order to be a good Christian, I had to work, I had to serve. Somehow by God's grace, we both still love Jesus, and we ended up in Shanghai together, and we worked in an underground Christian school and we were connected to a gospel preaching church there. We are not only taught, but we were shown what gospel community looks like. I mean, just this morning, I got a bunch of text messages from friends that I haven't heard from in a while. These are people that I've done life with in Shanghai two, three years ago, and they're reaching out, praying for me, telling me they love me and support me. This is what church is supposed to be like. It's a community of like-minded believers, covenanting with one another, doing life with one another regardless of our differences. It was like God was using his church to minister to us, to heal our broken hurt. And then COVID came around and you guys all remember that, 2020, everything fell apart. So a combination of work stressors, health issues, global pandemic, that forced Christine and I to leave Shanghai, to leave the place we had called home and we had to leave the church that we were known and love. Now I've heard about a joke about how all missionaries returning to the states end up in Ohio. We have the, <laughs> we have the Wilkerson's here, and the Wilcoxes, and Beth Knowles here, and so I think there's a level of truth to that. But we moved from a city of 26 million to 26,000, if that. But through it all, God remains faithful to us and to our healing. He brought us to Substance Church where he had us covenant with the people of God here. Here we are known and we are loved. There are people in this room who know me and know Christine and love us well. They've walked with us through our struggles and our sins and everything in our lives. And similarly, there are people that I love and that I know who I have the privilege of walking alongside with. So God has been faithful in teaching us that a good gospel preaching church exists wherever you go, whether it's a metropolis in Asia or a small town in rural Ohio. God is faithful. He's been faithful in bringing brothers and sisters into our lives to minister to us. And so he's also ministered and healed our broken wounds. Look at that faith what evidence of God's grace and faithfulness is in our lives? And I'm certain that that's not just us, that all of us, all of you, have a story of God's faithfulness in your lives as well. So when we think about our second question, how has God's faithful presence been with you? It's important for us to recall God's track record of faithfulness so that we don't ever lose sight of his faithfulness. When we think about the stories of Israel, and how they've often fallen into sin as a people is because they forgot God's faithfulness in their past. All these stories of Israel's forgetting is like our story, too. We are a forgetful people. We're prone to wander. So I wanted to encourage you to take time to remember, to recall. How has God delivered you from trials and circumstances? Remember all those times that He's blessed you with exactly what you needed when you needed it most. Think about all those moments that God came through in surprising ways. Maybe it wasn't in ways that you had expected at first, but it all worked out for good in the end. Remember these evidences of grace and recall God's faithfulness in your life as a way to worship Him. But beyond focusing inwardly, It's also important for us to hear about God's faithfulness in the stories of those around us as well. Even if you're not Christian, these stories of God's faithfulness remain. Relationships and community are key for church life. The church's new small group ministries, we have our community groups, our youth collective, our growth groups. All these are about relationships. Yes, there's content about discipleship making being taught but all of it is in context of being known and loved by those around you. So I wanna encourage each of you guys to really listen to the testimonies and to the stories of those people around you to see how God has been faithful in their lives. When you do this, you might start realizing that other people have gone through similar struggles as you and you might be able to see that how God is working in your lives like he did for someone else. And I'll admit, it's scary to be vulnerable with one another. It's hard for you to show the real us to other people. You think they may not love you anymore. But Christ drew near to the unlovable, to the isolated, and we should do the same, to point each other to the hope that is in Christ. So it is a privilege to be able to share our stories with one another that remind us of God's faithfulness. And this allows us to combat that epidemic of loneliness in this world. So, so far we've learned about God's faithfulness and in how it does not depend on us. We've learned about how he's been faithful in our lives and the lives of those around us as well. And that brings us to our third point, which is God will continue to be faithful. And we see this in the bottom of verse 11 to verse 17. Now, I'm going to reread this section because it's a huge turning point in Old Testament history. It's called the Davidic Covenant. So I'm going to reread this at the bottom of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took from Saul, whom I put away before you. In your your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now a couple of weeks ago, when we were learning about Jonathan and David and how they made a covenant with one another, we're gonna be talking a little bit about a covenant. Recall that a covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. Now in this section, God is no longer talking about his faithfulness to to, uh, David's past or his present. He's now talking about David's future even after David's been buried with his forefathers. He's forming a covenant with David, much like he did with Abraham in Genesis 12. In the Davidic covenant, God says in verse 11 that God will make a house for David. This is no longer a house in a physical sense like we saw earlier, but it's about a dynasty. God will continue to prove his faithfulness to David by establishing David's future lineage. Let's take a look back at the passage to see how many times the words the Lord will or I will are repeated. Verse 11, the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12, I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be to him a father. I will discipline him. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. I hope you can see how God is the one who is establishing the promises in this covenant. David's not doing anything. Now, if we look to Psalm 89, it actually gives us a little bit more detail and clarity on what's happening during this covenant-making process between God and David. And so in Psalm 89, verses three and four, you, this is what it says. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring and build your throne for all generations. Something that we should note is that people can break covenants. So whether it's a marital covenant or a church covenant or even a covenant between Jonathan and David, it can be broken because as much as they love one another, they're still fallible humans that can fail. However, God will not break his covenant with David. And later on we see this in Psalm 89 verses 34 and 35. It says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Church, I hope you can see the gravity and the unbreakableness of God's covenant with David. God is seriously committed to David's future, and God is establishing this unconditional covenant with David. It does not depend on anything David does or anything that his descendants do. God will keep this covenant because he has sworn by his holiness, as we read in the psalm, and it cannot be violated and cannot be changed. Now, if you don't know, David's son Solomon will eventually become the wealthiest king of Israel. He'll be the one who actually builds the temple like it says in verse 13. Solomon even has the privilege of writing parts of our scripture. And yet, even when Solomon eventually turns away from God, God still remains faithful to David We see this in 1 Kings 11, where Solomon had turned his his heart away from God, and he began to worship the other gods of his 700 wives and concubines. And God essentially says this, and I'm gonna paraphrase, I'm going to take the kingdom from you, but for the sake of David, I won't do it in your lifetime. And for the sake of David and Israel, my chosen people, when I tear this kingdom away, I'm going to leave one tribe to continue David's lineage. So even in the faithlessness of Solomon, God is still faithful to David and David's descendants by ensuring that a king from Davidic lineage will continue and be kept through the tribe of Judah. Now this foretelling of a future king who will reign forever points us to Jesus, our true and our better king. You know those sections in Uh, the Gospels, Matthew 1 and Luke 3, where there's a long list of names that no one can pronounce. Well, when we actually study those, we learn from the genealogies that Jesus is actually a uh, descendant of David. Jesus is the forever king that the Davidic covenant points to, whose throne is going to be established forever. Jesus is the true and better temple that we will see in the new heavens and new earth as Revelation points to as well. And Jesus is the true Son who the Father will discipline with the rod and with the stripes of sons of men, as verse 14 points out. But not because he did anything to deserve it, but on the opposite, he took humanity's sin and his, our iniquity and he was beaten and crucified for our transgressions against God. He took that so that we might not die, but through him we can live restored lives, that we can live and be united with God, and so that we can experience the steadfast love of God, as verse fifteen points out. Church, this is the gospel message that the true and eternal King David, a uh, uh, true and eternal Davidic King, that's prophesied in our text, would lay down his life so that we might be able to live. So thinking about our third question now, how does God's faithfulness give you reassurance for the future? Just as God is committed to David's future, God is committed to your future as well. He's proven this by giving us Jesus, not just as a way to go to heaven or avoid hell, but to live a newly restored life for his kingdom purposes. We get to be the servants of the true king. We get to be his disciples. We get to be light where darkness abounds. We get to be a beacon that points to the hope that we find in Jesus. Church, this is our calling. For every single one of us, you don't have to go to seminary, you don't have to be a professional pastor. There's no special class of Christian. This is a calling for all of us. This is an everyday calling. How can we live this out faithfully wherever our sphere of influence is? whether it's in the marketplace, in the school, or your family, wherever God has planted you in this particular moment in time, how can you live as a faithful servant to the true King Jesus, wherever he has placed you? If you're not Christian, consider what we preach today. God has given humanity a king, whose kingdom will reign forever, whether you like it or not. Where do your allegiances lie? Will you worship the kings and the idols of the world? Will you worship yourself as king? Or will you worship the true and better king, King Jesus, the faithful king who gave his life so that you could live as you were meant to? If this is you, please come speak to us after service. I know Ronnie and Scott and myself, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to have Jesus as our king. And so to wrap all this up, in this passage we have seen how God has faithfully been with David, how he does not need David to build him a temple or a house. Instead, God reminds David of his faithfulness throughout his life, and God will instead establish David's dynasty and future descendant, Jesus, whose kingdom will reign forever. And we are reminded that God's presence is forever faithful and King Jesus is proof. This truth about God is the same for us even in the 21st century. This same God uh, has been, is, and will always be faithful in our lives. He's proven this by giving us Jesus. In Jesus we have a hope both now and forever. So as you recall stories of past faithfulness in the scriptures, in church history, in the people around you's life, and in your own life, it gives us a hope for a future. We'll know that whatever temptations that we will face, whatever pains that we're going to encounter, whatever good things God has said no to, when we feel hurt and betrayed by our loved ones, when we feel that God has closed certain doors and we don't know why, and when we're faced with earth-shaking changes that will happen, know that God will continue to be faithful because he is with us. Now this doesn't take away the pain and doesn't give us permission to give you know, flippant answers to people suffering through pain, but it does give us a hope for a future. Substance Church, we can rest assured in our faithful King Jesus because he has been faithful with us so far and he will continue to be faithful with us until that day that he returns. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are the faithful one who'll never leave us or forsake us. You're the one who keeps promises and covenants and you have been faithful throughout history. You've proven to be faithful to David and you've proven to be faithful to us. So help us be a people that remembers your faithfulness, to be people who are able to trust in your faithfulness for our future, even when things seem bleak. God, we praise you that you've given us Jesus as proof of your faithfulness. In him, we are forgiven our sin. In him, we can live transformed lives. And in him, we'll never be forsaken. So we pray all this in his name, amen.